of you anyway. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> Al said, if I make it a third time, I might be able to get my picture on the fridge again. <laughs> if you throw a t-shirt in the mix, you might have a deal. <laughs> nice. I saw Lexi carrying a picture on, so I was like, you want that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right, well... We are back on the same topic as last week with the head covering, um, especially since there's some new people kind of want to do a little overview. Well, I shouldn't say that because I was planning on doing it either way, but I'm going to do a little overview, catch some of you guys up to speed on what we talked about last week, and kind of refresh the rest of our minds. Um, I know when I'm in the audience, I like when people do that. I really need you know, a little reminder, get the wheels turning in the head a little bit. Um, I always tell people I have a very good memory. It's just short. So a little, little reminder of where we're at. Uh, catch us up to speed. <clears throat> so this worked out pretty well. Uh, the original guy that was going to be here, Josh, just asked if uh, he had some things going on. Texted me, asked if I could fill in. So that works out pretty well uh, that I can just get this done in consecutive weeks here. So I uh, want to do a little bit of a refresh. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting, as I was thinking about how forgetful I am, um, that kind of spurred along as I was restudying for this message, and I just have to go back to what I talked about last week, and I'm like, man, I'm very forgetful, and thought that was interesting because I believe that this symbol of the head covering really is a reminder. Um, you know, and I was thinking, too, as you go in uh, farther into chapter 11, it's the bread and the cup. Uh, we had the meeting this morning where we looked at these two symbols, um, and they are also a reminder because I think the Lord knows that we're forgetful, um, there's nothing necessarily um, supernatural about the head covering in itself, uh, nothing really great uh, with the actual thing that's going on the head. Um, you know, there's different head coverings in here, hats. My wife has a cloth of some sort. Uh, there's nothing necessarily supernatural about it in itself, um, but it is a reminder of a great truth um, because the Lord knows that we're forgetful. You know, even looking at the bread in the cup, the things that, that actually reminds us of. Um, they're things that we should not forget. Uh, they're very uh, elementary and they're staples in our Christian faith. Uh, this uh, bread that symbolizes the body that came down. Christ came down in the form of a man. Um, it was a perfect body, a spotless sacrifice, and the blood that was uh, the payment for our sins, things that we should not forget. Um, and yet we tend to not so much forget them, but we put them out of our minds. You know, we're chasing after these these worldly things that don't satisfy, and the Lord knows that we're forgetful. He created us, and he gives us these symbols to, to remind us of greater truths, and I think that's what the head covering is as well. So I'd like to look at those truths that the, the head covering symbol points us to. Um, and actually, again, about forgetfulness, one thing I forgot to do last week was actually read through the entire portion, so I want to do that to start. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11 and starting in verse 1, going to verse 16. So it starts out, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, 
let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man, nor is man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor is woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through the woman, but all things are from God. Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So, now to refresh our minds, uh, verse 1 we had talked about, it says, to imitate Christ. Um, this is the introduction to this section about the head covering, and it's an interesting introduction at first. Um, how does this relate to this uh, practical thing of putting on a head covering? Uh, we imitate Christ. Uh, you know, just at first thought, it's, it seems a little bit strange. Maybe it applies to the stuff before. Um, I think it's actually a very good introduction. Um, you know, when we think about how we imitate someone, I actually know a lot about imitating because I have a two-year-old, and uh, my two-year-old is to that age where he imitates everything I do. He, uh, he definitely loves his mom more. He clings to her, but I think he wants to be like me, so I, I hope anyway. Um, but he, he imitates me. He's, uh, he does everything I do. He even tries to laugh the way that I laugh sometimes. Um, I was doing push-ups in my living room one day, and he walks over and kind of pushes me out of the way grabs my little push-up bars and starts trying to do them right after me. Um, another thing that he, he actually taught me, I didn't even know I did this, when I drink a nice cold cup of refreshing water, you know, I drink it and then go, ah, when I put it down. Didn't even know I did that until he started doing that. So put that down. Ah. So he's, he's very good at imitating me. And how does he do that? Well, he does it because he's always watching me. He's always watching what I'm doing. Uh, his eyes are focused on me. You can't imitate someone if you don't know very much about them. So imitating Christ. So with that in mind, how do we imitate Christ, and what does that have to do with the head covering? Um, well, the head covering is all about Christ. Uh, that imitating goes into the Lord's Supper, too. It's in the same chapter. Those symbols are all about Christ. And we had kind of talked a little bit briefly about, um, you know, the head covering is kind of a, a controversial thing nowadays. And it shouldn't be because it's not about us. You know, if we're getting offended by it or, you know, up in a tizzy about the head covering, we're making it too much about ourselves. And it's not about us at all. Um, it's all about Christ. And it points to attributes and, and aspects of the Lord. And uh, it's just another tool, if I can call it that, to point us to Christ, to help us to imitate him. So we want to uh, look at how it is or what it points to exactly that causes us to imitate him. How does the head covering uh, show us? Uh, ways that we imitate. So, um, it's all about Christ. Uh, then we went into uh, how there's four reasons. I said there's four reasons in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that I can see anyway that give up, or that is given to us for the head covering. Four reasons for the head covering. Uh, so we started out, we talked about uh, the first one, which is headship in verse 3. Uh, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Uh, talks about this order of headship uh, that is given by God. Um, 
where God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. Uh, we talked about how it has nothing to do with importance, um, but rather it's a, a structural order. Um, just like in the illustration of my high school roll call, when they called uh, our names every day, um, in my class of 46 or 47 people, I was always called somewhere around 11th or 12th. Uh, that had nothing to do with favoritism by the teachers or um, you know, skill level or anything like that. It was an order that was set in stone and not changed. If it had, if it had anything to do with uh, favoritism or teacher's pet or whatever, I probably would have been towards the end by Chad Weiss. But that wasn't the case. It had nothing to do with importance, and it was all about a structure. And that's how it is with this order of the headship. And Paul makes that clear. You know, If you look at that verse 3 that I just read, he seems to order it in such a way, and this is kind of a theme as we go through the chapter, there are different things that Paul or maybe the Spirit seems to, to word in a certain way uh, to cause us or to prevent us from being able to get offended. Um, and in verse 3, he orders this, not in an ascending order or a descending order. You know, when I read it, I say Christ, or God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, a man is the head of a woman, kind of a, a descending order from top to bottom, and he doesn't word it that way. He words it in a unique way and kind of rearranges it, um, almost seeming like, so when the woman reads that, that my head is man, um, I could see how that could be a little bit like, I feel like I drew the short stick here, you know, where I am the, the head of my wife, so this this guy has to be my head. I can see how that can be a little bit like, what's the deal here, God? Um, but immediately after that, almost before a woman can even get that thought out, she has pointed to Christ here in that Christ also put himself in a position of willing submission to the Father. You know, and <clears throat> she could also say, well, at least Christ's head is a perfect father, um, but then we think about what did what did the Father lead Christ to? You know, what did he um, what did Christ have to submit to? You know, God sent him to uh, well Earth to become a man. Uh, he gave him an, uh, a worldly body, um, sent him down to Earth to be among sinners and to be among among men, um, and sent him even to death. And we know that that wasn't an easy thing to submit to. You know, often maybe we think that it was. It was a simple easy task, but we know that Christ himself said, uh, if this cup, or if there be any other way, let this cup pass from you. It was not an easy thing for the Lord to submit to. Um, so just like that, as we're reading through this order of headship, the attention is almost immediately put off of us and put on Christ. And we see that Christ uh, willingly submitted himself even to death. Um, and then we also see in this that Christ was in a position of authority and he was in a position of submission. And there is a way that we imitate him, uh, man in the position of head and woman in the position of willing submission. So then we went on to uh, creation. Creation is another reason given for this head covering. Uh, we read about this in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 18 and on, where man was created, and then the woman was created from the man, uh, basically quoted right here in chapter 11. Um, and this is the reason for that headship, uh, simply that man was created first, um, and we had kind of talked about how the Spirit seems to know or knew that in the future this was going to be a controversial thing. And he seems to safeguard against that again, um, where he says, I believe it's in verse 12 here, For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through the woman, but all things are from God. Oh, and then also verse 11, it says, Neither is man independent of woman, nor is woman independent of man. You know, again, 
didn't necessarily need to be put in there. It could have just been the, the reason for this head chip is um, man was created first, or the reason for this covering is man was created first, and that's, that's simply the way it was. Um, but he throws in this other verse here where it says, neither man or woman are independent of each other. And sure, that first woman did come from man. That is true, and that's the reason for this. But since then, every other man has come from woman. Almost to just keep pushing that idea that this isn't about importance. Um, it's not that you know man is above woman. Uh, rather, she was, he was ahead of woman. So he drives that point home that this is not about importance. It's about how we were created. So we uh, talked about how we also imitate Christ uh, in two very different ways in, the, in our creation. Uh, man was created um, to imitate Christ by loving and giving himself for uh, his wife, just like how Christ loved and gave himself for the church. And then woman by submitting with a gentle spirit, uh, just like Christ himself submitted to his father's will. And then we talked about how there was an encouragement to the women in 1 Peter that this willing submission is very precious in the sight of God, uh, something that I don't think the Bible ever says about man's role. It makes very clear this is very precious in the sight of God. So that put us into the third reason, which was glory. And we kind of briefly touched on it. Uh, we, we pointed out a verse in, or a word rather, in verse 7. It says, man is the image and glory of God, and that word image is unique. It's not said about uh, Christ is not the image of, of the Father, and it doesn't say that woman is the image of the man. And that word image is more uh, interpreted representative, where man is the representative in the church. That's just his role. Um, he is the representative uh, when he prophesies, and I don't think I'm using this uh, out of context or in a bad way, um, where he, well, what I'm doing up here, reading and interpreting the word of God to the church, almost acting as God's representative to the church. And hopefully I'm doing that accurately and through the Spirit. Um, nothing out of context, nothing that is untrue, but I'm preaching God's word um, in a position of, of a representative. And same thing in the church anyway, in the church setting, um, a representative of the church to God in prayer, where I pray uh, vocally and aloud uh, as a representative. And that's kind of where we ended. Uh, so that third reason for the head covering given here is glory. But I did want to spend a little bit of time, since I'm taking two weeks to do this. Um, didn't know to put this at the beginning or at the end, but I think I'm going to put it right here. There's a little uh, segment that I want to call Uncovered, where I look at a few of the, the reasons that people tend to have for not wearing the head covering. Um, I brought a guy to church actually recently in Valley City. He was a guy that I worked out with for a while. I don't think he was even a Christian, but he really wanted to come. So I brought him to church one day and uh, kind of scooted out of there real quick and didn't really say much. And then shortly later, I got a text and he's like, what was with those things on the lady's head? And I didn't really know what to say at the time. Um, I was like, well, go to 1 Corinthians 11 and read it for yourself. And that was about the best answer I had. And uh, didn't really know how to have a rebuttal to some of his arguments um, other than just, you know, try to read it and try to understand it and it's there and that's the best I can do. Um, so since then, um, especially as I'm studying this out and reading different things and listening to different uh, messages from pastors and things, uh, there are a few arguments that seem to come up pretty often. Um, and I think they're pretty easy to debunk. I think if you look at the Bible and 
Uh, also, some some historical stuff. I think you can really uncover the truth pretty easily. And a lot of pe a lot of times, you almost need to go on this level. I'm going through these these four reasons for the head covering that I feel are very spiritual. They're they're in the Bible, but sometimes I feel like you need to go uh, to the to the human level and just kind of meet these people where they're at. You know, you start talking about glory and headship, and that doesn't mean much to people if you can't prove that it's not cultural, for example. So that's the first argument. And this is the most common one. You know, I'm starting, you know, if you start talking about uh, glory and angels and headship, and they're like, well, they just can't get past the cultural part. So uh, the most common argument is that this head covering in 1 Corinthians was either cultural for the time, or some people say it's a, it was a unique cultural thing to the city of Corinth. Um, again, I think these are very uh, easy things to uncover. I actually have two reasons. Um, but some people will just simply go with that. They'll just say it's cultural. It's kind of a cop-out. Some of the more, maybe more studied ones can say, you know, Corinth was a, it was a port city. Um, they were right on a port, which brought in a lot of, a lot of sailors, a lot of, um, you know, ships and, and young men. And that kind of brings sin and problems of its own, which those are probably true things. Um, and they had a, they will claim that they had a, a prostitution problem in the city of Corinth. Uh, so Paul's reason in their mind is these ladies in the church had to cover their head so that they wouldn't be mistaken for these other women. And I've heard that argument a few times. So um, the first thought that I have is if that was the main reason, you know, because that in their mind is the main reason. You do not want to be uh, mistaken for these women. You're part of the church. You're different. You're set apart. Um, if that was the reason, I feel like he would say that here. Uh, but instead, he actually gives a, a very interesting answer, a very um, contradictory answer, if you ask me. He says, uh, as he's talking about creation, and that's kind of why I wanted to go right into this, because that was the last thing you talked about, was creation is a reason given for the head covering. Well, why is that interesting in, in uh, relation to the to the cultural argument, um, because what, what transcends culture rather or more than creation? I mean, creation was a totally different culture. There was Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, they were not on a port. We actually talked about um, some of the geographics of, uh, of the garden this morning. There was a river that flowed out from there. It was totally different. It was not a port city. Um, and obviously, there were different cultural things a couple thousand years later in the city of Corinth and in the Garden of Eden. Um, so Paul here uses creation as an example. Well, it definitely cannot be cultural. If creation is a reason for the head covering, I mean, that pretty much debunks it right there in my mind. But I have another reason, and this one actually is more of my go-to nowadays. I like this one more. Uh, for some reason, this sets in a little bit easier in my mind. And actually, just this last Thursday at our Bible study, I was able to use this, not with the head covering, but uh, a different issue in the book of 1 Corinthians came up, and I was able to, to share this, because um, someone used that same cultural argument for a different issue that's kind of similar in the book of 1 Corinthians. So, um, I'm going to just flip through a couple of verses, and I actually don't really want you to flip through with me. I just want you to listen and see if you can see the difference. So there's a bunch of epistles in the New Testament. I'm not going to read the introduction to every single one, just a few. Um, I have gone over these a couple times, and I don't think I've missed one, but there's something unique about the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, just with the introduction. 
So Romans, it says, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So we're just going to flip ahead here to Galatians. It says, to the churches of Galatia. And jumping ahead to Ephesians, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God. I'll just do one more. I'm not going to go through every single one, like I said. Philippians, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God. So there are some greetings. And then you go back to 1 Corinthians, the book that we're actually in. 1 Corinthians is unique. It says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Did you see the difference? It's the only one that actually uh, says this is written to the church that I'm writing to, but it's also written to all who in every place call on the name of the Lord. So I would in no way, obviously, argue that Galatians or Romans would be cultural. That's not, you know, that's not the case. But it does seem that for some of these issues in the book of 1 Corinthians, people for whatever reason, go to that argument that it was cultural. It was cultural. We don't need to follow it. Um, and again, it seems like the Spirit knew that that was going to happen and put in a little safeguard there where you can't possibly say that this was cultural. He says, with all who in every place. So this isn't written for Corinthians, or it is, but it's also written for all who in every place. And that includes why not or all in some place. So that applies to us. Interesting little thought. So uh, that's kind of my go-to. I feel like that's a, a pretty hard argument to argue against. It's right there in the same in this very book. So um, as you're going through this debate with somebody, you know they bring up the cultural argument, um, and you say that, and and hopefully hopefully they're able to see that and be like, wow, maybe you're right. Maybe this wasn't cultural. But they have another argument. They say, well, so you think that you're right and everyone else is wrong. You think that your interpretation of that verse was right, and everyone else is getting it wrong. I mean, that's kind of a hard one to, a hard thing to hurdle. Um, that's a little bit thought-provoking to me when I heard that. You know, you look around. Um, well, for example, Valley City, uh, where I'm living, there was one of the guys in our church that were at a restaurant, and there was a little meeting of some of the pastors, and they actually uh, started kind of poking fun at our little assembly because of the head covering and some of the dumb little things that we do um, in their mind. Like, were very different. None of these other pastors saw it. And they kind of were poking a little fun. Nothing real harsh, but uh, the guy from our little assembly just happened to be in the same restaurant and he overheard it. And I don't think these pastors had any idea that he was there. Um, but you could go into, a, into that little table with them and talk with them, and I'm sure that would be their argument. You think that you're right and we're all wrong? I mean, really. So that's kind of a hard hurdle. So... Um, that is a little bit our reputation in Valley City. Got to find my way back to my notes here. Oh yeah, so I have one verse. I don't have quite as much uh, scriptural evidence to try to debunk that, but I do have a verse that I think is compelling, and then a little bit of historical um, evidence as well. So in this same chapter, eleven, verse sixteen, it was talking about the head covering, and then it says, "But if anyone seems to be contentious." We have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Um, there's very similar wording in chapter 14. I think there's a lot of similarities between this chapter and chapter 14. 
some fairly similar related issues and similar responses as well. Um, where in regards to that one, it actually says, if anyone's contentious, this is the commandment of God. So it says, and I read this anyway as, if anyone is contentious regarding this in Corinthians or in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, uh, know that no, everyone else is doing this. You're actually the oddball here. So today in Valley City, we seem to be the oddball, but that wasn't the case back here in the teaching. Um, so that actually brings me back to this time, and I want to go through a little bit of history. Uh, with a little Google search, I was able to find a lot of different teachings from uh, old, old scholars, old preachers and pastors from a long time ago. So I just wrote down a few of their quotes. just want to run through them really quick. Um, I don't even really know who these people are, but um, this guy's name is Irenaeus. Uh, lived uh, 130 AD is when he was born, so uh, very, very early church. Uh, he's quoted saying, a woman ought to have a veil upon her head because of the angels. There's a spoiler alert. That's going to be one of the other reasons. Uh, Clement of Alexandria uh, lived 150 to 215 AD, also very early church. And he said, women and men are to go to the assembly decently attired. Uh, let, the, let the women observe further, and she will not fall who unites devotion and modesty with her veil. For this is the wish of the word, since it is becoming for her to pray veiled. So again, uh, alludes right to the word and the wishes of the word. He uses the scripture to back that up, saying this is the wish of the word of God. Uh, John Chrysostom uh, lived right around 400 AD. He was a preacher in Antioch. Uh, he says, you say if her hair be given to her for a covering, why need she another covering? So that not nature only but also her own will has part in her acknowledgement of subjection, uh, which is an interesting point. That's actually another argument that I'm not really going to cover because I'll be able to basically debunk that uh, a little bit later. But another argument is, well, if she has hair, isn't that given to her for covering? Um, so I'll just leave that there, and we'll actually cover that in a little bit because he gives two reasons there. Not only nature, but her will also will have a part. So there's a bunch more. Like I said, do a little Google search. There's a bunch, but I just want to read one more, a little bit more recent. A uh, man by the name of Matthew Henry. If you Google commentaries, he's one of the one of the ones that always come up. Uh, he has no assembly ties, no ties to a church like this. But he says, It was the common usage of the churches for women to appear in public assemblies and join in public worship veiled, and it was manifestly decent that they should do so. Those must be very contentious indeed who would quarrel with this or lay it aside. Um, and I think he's actually alluding to the same verse that I read where he uses that word contentious. And he says, indeed, at least in this time, they would be very contentious to quarrel with this or lay this teaching aside. Um, so that was the way it used to be. That's not the case anymore. Um, it's the opposite, where we are the oddballs. Um, you know, if you look at... This is a little more rough history here, but uh, if you were to watch some shows like The Waltons or Little House on the Prairie, those are some of my mom's favorite shows. We watch them all the time as kids. And you watch a few episodes, there's, there are a lot of church uh, or episodes where they're in church and the women are covered. It was common usage, as Matthew Henry puts it. Uh, it was um, common practice back in the day, and it wasn't until recently that it was actually our culture that stepped away from this teaching. It was, it's not cultural for us to do that kind of a thing. It's counter-American culture for a woman to wear a head covering. So for them to say, you think you're right and everyone else is wrong, 
gives the implication that we stepped up to this new idea. Like, you guys bring this new idea of a head covering, and you really think that you got it right. And that wasn't really the case. More, uh, rather, they stepped back from this teaching. It used to be widely accepted, and it's not anymore. So that was reason number two, or argument number two, that people have against the head covering. So you're talking with this person. Uh, they haven't walked away yet. Uh, you now prove to them that this teaching wasn't just for Corinth. It wasn't cultural. Um, it wasn't cultural for the time. It was actually, uh, it stood the test of time for a long, long amount of time. And now they come with argument number three that it's, it's not a very big issue. It's a minor issue. Also another pretty big hurdle. You know, that would be a conclusion that I think a lot of people would come to. It's not a very big deal. It's a minor issue. Uh, there are more important things to worry about. That's probably not untrue. Um, obviously, this has nothing to do with your salvation. You're not going to lose salvation if you disobey these things. I'm not going to lose my salvation if I, I wear a hat up here. Same idea. Um, but is it actually a minor issue? That would be the question. Well, I would say the language, just looking at this chapter that's talking about it, the language implies that it actually is uh, of great importance. It says, imitate me. And that's how it starts it out. We are to imitate Christ in this. That doesn't seem like a minor thing. You know, we are closer to Christ, and we, we learn things about him through this teaching. Um, it goes on to verse 2 and also verse 23 later in the chapter, and it said, these are truths that were delivered. Um, I was talking to Al yesterday, and he kind of pointed out that word, uh, sort of grabbed that word and pulled it out of the passage. The word delivered, um, it's unique to these. Uh, here it says in, in verse 2, that these traditions were delivered to you. And a little study of that word, it kind of has a similarity to uh, if a prison guard was going to be delivering a prisoner, you know, and, and they take that uh, with the utmost of seriousness. They, if you're delivering a prisoner to one, from one prison to another, you, you chain them up, you often maybe chain them to you just to make sure that this prisoner does not get away. Uh, they, they make it in one piece. Uh, you're, you're driving in your armored car, you're bringing whatever weapon necessary to be able to defend them, and it has a very similar meaning when you look at the original of that delivered. Um, you're delivering these truths like you would a prisoner to make sure uh, with your life that this thing is going to get to its destination in one piece in the same condition that uh, that it was when it left. Um, and that's how these, uh, these traditions and teachings are. They were delivered. Um, and then you look at who it was delivered by, uh, verse 12 says that all things are from God. These things, who were they delivered by? That's kind of important, too, if they were delivered by God. Um, I would say that these are more than a minor issue. The head covering, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, uh, fairly, fairly serious issues. So they were delivered like a prisoner. So if you still have this person's attention, but they're not convinced yet about the head covering, um, hopefully they'll agree that this passage is somewhat applicable today, uh, and it's also somewhat important. Uh, they can see, all right, this was delivered by God, and delivered like a prisoner. Um, but they have a fourth argument, and they're reading this, and they say, well, I only need it, I only need this head covering when I'm praying or prophesying out loud in church. Um, also something I've heard by quite a few people. Uh, so how does that, how does that line up? Because uh, it does seem like that on the purpose, or on the surface, rather. Um, but I talked about how 11, chapter 11 and chapter 14, I think there's a lot of similarities. And I almost think that they should be read 
and learn together. Um, so I think here that Paul is dealing with one issue at a time. I think he is dealing with this issue of the head covering first, and then he's moving on to this praying and prophesying aloud. Um, and I have a couple reasons for that. The first one is, well, we talked about that one word image. It was very unique to the man, that the man is uh, just called, given the responsibility to be the uh, representative in the church. Uh, the second reason, um, you know, there's times where I think we need to be dealt with uh, one issue at a time. Um, it would be like uh, it would be like me speeding through a stop sign, trying to decide if this is a bad illustration. This makes sense to me. So it would be like me speeding and running through a stop sign, and the cop sees me, pulls me over, and he's like, uh, "You were just speeding through that stop sign," and I'm like, "You're right. I'm wrong. I should not have been speeding through that stop sign." From now on, whenever I run through a stop sign, I'm going to go to the speed limit. And he's like, well, no, okay, let's get the speeding out of the way first. You also can't be running stop signs. But he doesn't deal with both at the same time. The first is the fact that I was going 80 through a 35. Can't be speeding through the stop sign. And the cop kind of deals with one issue at a time, and then he writes me a second ticket for running the stop sign, uh, and then he takes away my license. So I think that's what Paul is doing here, and the reason for that, well, two. Um, if you look at the number of times certain words are used in this chapter in 11, um, he doesn't put very much emphasis on praying or prophesying uh, at all. He says the word head in uh, eight times. He says the word covering seven times, praying three times, and prophesying two times. So there's just a clear um, emphasis put on head and covering both. Um, and then flip ahead a couple chapters, and it's a little bit reversed, where the head covering isn't dealt with at all in chapter 14, but the praying and the prophesying is more of the focus there. So I think he was dealing with one issue at a time. Um, so hopefully at that point, I've only heard one other argument, and I don't have a real good answer for it, so I'm not going to try to cover it. Um, I think there is some proof in the Old Testament against it, um, but so far those are the ones that I've really heard. And I think, I think the truth is pretty easy to uncover. You can use the Bible to, to show people that, well, this is what the Bible says, um, and, and hopefully we can have an open mind to that and, and uh, be able to submit to the Spirit and realize that, okay, I can see that it says this. I can see the teaching. Um, so that leads me into the third reason. So I said there are four reasons here in this chapter given for the head covering. There's headship, creation. We talked about that. Uh, the third reason is glory. Uh, glory is the outward expression of something hidden. Definition I just found on the Internet. Uh, if we were to look at uh, the sun, the S-U-N, uh, we wouldn't actually see the sun. We would see its outshining, its brightness. Um, um, we would see its glory, basically. I wouldn't recommend it. There's better activities. But we would see its glory, the beauty of the sun. Um, Ephesians 3.21 tells us, um, actually, that might have been part of um, your passage this morning. Um, Ephesians 3.21 tells us that the glory of Christ is to be shown in the church. We are to see his glory. Um, and that should be one of, our, one of our main goals, is to be glorifying him and also doing whatever we can so that his glory can be seen in the church, uh, in the church setting anyway. Um, so in order for that to happen, all other glories need to go away. Um, you know, it should not be the man's repre as representative up here to be trying to glorify himself. Um, it should be my goal to be showing the glory of the Lord and glorifying him. 
So any other glories need to be hidden. So if we go through this chapter, chapter 11, there's two other glories that are brought out that need to be hidden, that need to be dealt with in this setting. There's man's glory and there's woman's glory. Uh, both are good. Both are given by God. But there's a time and a place for them, and this is not the place for them. So something needs to be done about these. Uh, verse 7 tells us that man's glory is the woman. I think that's 7, right? Yeah. Woman is the glory of man. And then verse 15 tells us about the woman's glory. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for covering. So, naturally, um, that, one, that one man had talked about how there's two, glory, or two coverings for a woman. Uh, why is that? Uh, so that way, nature and also her will um, can have a role in submission to God. Um, so, as God's representative, um, if my glory is my wife, it's pretty important that my glory not be showing. Um, and I think... The Lord deals with that by giving my wife a covering. He gives her a natural covering. You know, I can't be standing at the door when all the women walk in, handing out hats. Well, here's a nice one. Oh, you tend to like to take yours off, so here's one with a chin strap. Uh, you can't be doing that. Um, you know, partly because I can't reach the top of a lot of the women's heads, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, and, and that would completely defeat the purpose of the head covering, too, because it's not a forced thing at all, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't even be looked at in that way. And it's a matter of the will. So my glory should be covered, especially if I'm acting as the representative of God and of the church. So the Lord takes care of that. He gives a natural covering, which is the hair. Um, but if you look at coverings in the Bible, um, often, maybe always, but I can't for sure say that, but often they do two things. They cover something, obviously, but they also often reveal something else. Uh, if we go back to Genesis again, um, the first example of coverings were Adam and Eve. Um, Adam and Eve uh, sinned, and they saw that they were naked, so they made themselves a covering. Um, and that did a few things. It covered a little bit, but it also revealed to God that they now knew that they were naked. And you look at the second set of coverings. Uh, God made a, a set of coverings for Adam and Eve, uh, it did their job a lot better than the man-made covering. It covered their, their nakedness very well, uh, but it also revealed something. It revealed that blood was now going to have to be shed to take care of the sin problem. So often a covering will do that. It will do the job that it's intended to to cover, but it also reveals something. So in this case, verse 15 tells us that this natural covering that is given to a woman covers my glory, but it also reveals something. It reveals a glory of her own. Um, so there needs to be another covering to deal with that. So we had talked about, that's often an argument that women will bring up, or men, I guess, um, that God has already given her a covering. She's taken care of, she doesn't need to be wearing a veil. Um, and that is um, the debunking right there. It also reveals a glory of her own. And if the Lord's glory is to be seen in the church to its full extent, that glory of the woman's needs to be taken care of. Um, so there needs to be another covering. So, I think that's about it on glory. So the fourth reason. fourth reason is angels. One of those old, um, old preachers from the early church had brought that out. Um, it says in the Bible, verse 10, 
The reason for the covering is for the angels. Well, what could that mean? So really briefly, I want to flip back to a couple of passages. I'm going to turn back to uh, one in Ezekiel and a couple in Isaiah. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, and starting in verse 12, uh, speaking of Lucifer, says, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers... I established you. You were on the holy mountain. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Interesting. That is Lucifer. We often um, talk about that he was a beautiful that he or he was he was beautiful to look at. He was uh, musical. He had his roles, but he's called here the cherub who covers. And it's interesting that it says that every precious stone was your covering. Um, again, uh, would I be wrong to say that he himself was given a covering? but it also revealed a glory of his own. He was a glorious figure to look at. Um, If we could flip to Isaiah then. Let's see, Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, 14. Lucifer says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And later in that book, Isaiah 42.8, the Lord says, My glory I will not give to another. And we see the downfall of Lucifer. He was beautiful. He was glorious. And he wanted to be like God. And he would not cover his glory. He wanted his glory to match or maybe exceed God's. And we see that he has fallen. And he took a big portion of the angels with him. Um, so there's that. Keep that in mind. Um, Ephesians 3.10, want to read a little verse? Ephesians 3.10 To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. It says that God is almost using the church as an object lesson to the angels. Uh, to the the fallen angels, I believe, and also to the ones that weren't. Almost like a show and tell. First um, Peter 1 describes the angels having a curiosity as they watch the Lord leaving heaven and becoming a man. Uh, with curious eyes, they're watching. They don't know what's going on. Uh, they see the Lord coming down and being delivered to the cross, never calling for help. Um, I believe they were ready. Um, but he was delivered to the cross uh, through the ones who were spitting on him, and the angels are watching, wondering what's going on, and the Lord is using it like a show-and-tell to teach the angels. Um, simple, simple example, but I remember um, all the way back to kindergarten, um, for some reason this story sticks out. I was so proud of this show-and-tell. I had this big super soaker, and I was the tiniest little guy, believe it or not. Um, I'm pretty sure I was... I'm pretty sure I was in my 30 pounds. I was about 30 or 35 pounds in kindergarten. I was this tiny little guy, 
and my parents bought me this huge super soaker, and I brought it to school. Probably won't be allowed nowadays, but I had that as show and tell. We had a weekly show and tell, and I had this huge super soaker. And I just remember I stole the show. No one else had anything that was cool enough. And everyone was ooing and aahing at my, my super sofa. They all wanted to come and look at it. They all wanted to hold it and use it. And it was the best thing ever. And I believe that is what the angels are doing with the church. You know, they, they got to witness Lucifer uh, not covering his glory. He was the cherub who covers, not witnessing it, uh, failing. And then he sees the Lord coming down and doing this unique thing, coming down and, and dying on the cross. And they're wondering what the Lord's purposes are. What is he doing here? Uh, he's coming to die for sinners like us. These are things that we can't explain either. We're recipients of this. We talked about it this morning. Um, I imagine it's even harder for the angels. Why would Christ come down and do this and die to try to save us? And then they see the church come together. They see the body and they see the plan starting to work in the church. And they see... Um, us being obedient, and they see these women putting on this head covering, doing the thing that Lucifer failed to do or refused to do, and I think the plan of God starts to come together for these angels, and I think that is part of the reason for the head covering, to teach these angels, to show them, this is what I'm accomplishing, and you haven't seen half of it yet, wait until eternity, and you will see what these, what I've done for these sinners and where I've brought these sinners. So I indeed think that the head covering is an important thing, as well as men not covering our heads. Um, we are called to be the glory of Christ. Um, not that there's anything glorious in us, but we show our example of bringing him glory by not covering our head. It's a reminder that my head is Christ, and I want his glory to be seen. Um, so let's just close in prayer. Uh, dear Lord, again, we just thank you so much for what you've done for us. Uh, we are uh, we are sinful people. Uh, we are undeserving of your grace and your love. Um, and yet, yet you did the unthinkable for us. You came down to earth. You lived among us. You were uh, abused, um, rejected, um, and, and you knew that was going to happen. You knew it long beforehand. You had it planned out. Um, it's because you love us, Lord. We're thankful for it. Um, Again, we just we owe you so much love, Lord, um, and we just want to bring you glory. Um, so even in the small acts, things that seem so insignificant, um, seem so countercultural, we hope to bring you glory in the uh, in the head covering. We hope to bring you glory in the church, Lord. Uh, we hope to bring you glory in our lives. So again, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, Amen.